What's up, comic book fans? Anchor Pete here with my good friend, Mr. Dr. Zayas G.O.D., Danny Torquel. Oh, he's rocking a Frankenstein mug. Or is it Young Frankenstein? I can't see. It's a, a Curse of Frankenstein, oh, okay. uh, which was the, the Hammer Frankenstein movie from the 50s. And then I got my Bride of Frankenstein shirt that I got in Universal. I got this in uh, Dark Delicacies, which is a uh, like a horror shop bookstore, uh, movies, posters, uh, cool stuff uh, in, in L.A. I took Charlotte there. That's awesome, man. Yeah, you know, that's kind of cool. You got Frankenstein stuff on because Frankenstein, a lot of people say, is like the original sci-fi story. And today yeah. we are talking about, you know, one of the most current sci-fi stories, a pretty out there story. Uh, we're talking about Raised by Wolves. And I say this every week. It's not based on a comic. It has nothing to do with comics. But, you know, we're branching out a little bit. And this show has some weird kind of Frankenstein type shit in it too. Just putting people together, changing people. Some big changes happened in this episode, right Danny? Yeah. <laughs> so the way that we have been breaking it down, we appreciate you guys watching too, been getting comments, more subscribers. If you guys haven't liked and subscribed, please do. Um, but the way that we break it down is we kind of go character by character and just kind of talk about the overall story. So I thought uh, right off the bat, why don't we just talk about Tempest. I thought that Tempest had her biggest part in the whole series so far this episode, right? Yeah. Yeah. So um, Tempest, for anyone who needs any kind of recap, she is a Mithraic child, you know, a teenager who was raped when they were on the Ark and everyone was in cryosleep. And so she's carrying this baby from this guy that raped her. And remember him from the first season, Danny, with that fucking crazy helmet? and Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, Ugh. I and so, he like right. disappeared for like four straight episodes, and then just like showed up again at the end, uh, having been like baned out, and uh, and then he, uh, yeah, that was that was a really creepy ass character from season one. That's a good comparison with Bane because the way he talked, he kind of sounded like Bane too. Like, right, right, that kind of muffled metallic voice. Yeah. Um, so the father's been dead for a while, but Tempest has been carrying around this child and mother, you know, there are Android, our main character of the show has been wanting Tempest to give birth just to have another atheist child be born in this world. Um, and so the moment finally came. Did you think Danny that she would potentially drop that baby into the acid water? I I thought for a second that that's where they might go. And, you know, you, you brought up uh, when we did, when we were doing season one, uh, this scene with mother and the, the baby. And I was like, well, they have done effed up shit like this before. So yeah. maybe she takes this newborn and she goes, nope. And uh, it turned out that what we ended up getting wasn't much better than that. Uh, but it yeah that did cross my mind for a second that that's what she was going to do but then uh we got the you know the another one of these acid uh water creatures popping up and becoming the thing all of a sudden uh with its like chest that opens up and has a second like mouth like crazy uh, yeah. uh just another like crazy visual uh, sci-fi alien monster to throw on the the Raised by Wolves uh, scoreboard. 
<laughs> okay, so there's a lot there, right? You you say it's a mouth. So your impression is that that baby was eaten. Uh, no, I, I, it, I mean, it looked like a mouth, but it didn't, uh, there definitely was the thought in my head that maybe it's being kidnapped and put into like some kind of womb thing, but it just reminded me of the scene in, it might even be the thing prequel oh, where okay. like there, there's some like kind of wonky CGI effects in there, but one of like the main monsters, like just like kind of breaks apart and poof, opens up like that. Mm -hmm. uh, and it kind of reminded me of that. Or even the uh, the scene in the, the original thing where the guy has the heart attack and right. it, like where like the chest opens and there's like teeth and you just... Right. Like, so right. It, it reminded me of that. But yeah, if, if it turns out that that was like some kind of uh, cocoon thing, womb thing, I, it wouldn't shock me. I mean, right. mother gave birth to a snake monster earlier this season or late last season. So, right. you know, birth in this show is really weird. <laughs> well, um, have you ever watched the show all the way to the end credits, to the very end? Like past the credits? I feel like I, I have, but also I sometimes don't. Why? What did I miss? I've never watched, like, once the credits roll, I just kind of turn it off. But uh, this time around, I was watching it, and they had, like, a little behind-the-scenes featurette. And they also showed scenes from the next two episodes. There's only two episodes left, right? And in the, you know, coming up sequence, they showed that kind of sea creature, kind of, like, huddled, kind of scared-looking underwater. And my impression was that it, like, took the kid. Because if you look at its facial expression when it goes up to Tempest, it doesn't look like angry, like I'm going to eat you. It kind of looks like almost a little bit like scared or like, you know, like, give me the baby. And it doesn't really hurt Tempest. I think that if it was going to like eat the child, it would have like hit Tempest or killed her. And yeah. so it just kind of snatches her. And also, and this is like with um, father and grandmother, which we're going to talk about in a couple minutes. But like, did you see in the vision that father was looking at when he was like looking at all the, the holographic stuff, they showed one of those creatures. Did you see that? I, I didn't pick, pick on, pick up on that, but also we do know that, uh, the creatures are like, uh, uh an either evolved or devolved form of human, right. uh, which we saw last episode when Marcus was in the cave with the, the character we refer to as the engineer, because he looked like, one of the Prometheus engineers um, who like melts apart and becomes one of the creatures and Marcus shoots in the head. And uh, so we've seen that before. So there is definitely this possibility that this monster that snatched the baby was doing so out of some lost uh, humanity uh, that it has, you know, to be maternal or, you know, yeah. Well, that's kind of what I think. And, and this is sort of not just sticking the Tempest story, but like the idea of uh, de-evolving, right? I'm starting to start to like theorize. And I feel like whatever this alien presence is that some people refer to as Saul, which has kind of drawn people to this planet, it's like gotten into people's heads. I feel like maybe its purpose is to de-evolve people. Because like one thing that's starting to really become a theme in this show 
because this is the second episode now where mother and father have had this discussion about we're becoming too human. And I think that maybe the purpose of this whole planet is to break humans down to make them more primal because the idea is that we are becoming too advanced, too corrupted, and we need to become more animalistic and basic. Well, I, I mean, that, that feeds right into the title of the show, right? Raised by Wolves, you know? Yeah. Uh, it, really, it really does. Uh, yeah. But it also kind of goes back to something that I've been saying for a few weeks now. It, you know, it kind of reminds me of the whole Asimov you know, every sci-fi story with robots is, oh, we're here to save the humans, uh, so we have to kill the humans because humans are the problem. And it does, like, to your point, I, I think there is a lot of that where the androids and, you know, one thing that this show shows probably more than anything is how completely fallible and morally corruptible human humankind is uh and how you know uh to the point where when this this season season two started the the humans had put their complete and total faith in the trust which was a giant supercomputer and when the trust is replaced by a more human-like uh android in mother the people there kind of lose it. They, they don't, they, they don't like the fact that there's, you know, the potential of, you know, somebody who has, you know, as you said, mother and father talk about their emotions and uh, the idea of like campion, a, a human taking over at some point. And you see this with, uh, oh, what's his name? Uh, Marcus? No, the, the, the guy who, was Lucius? The oh, guy who, oh uh, uh, Cleaver. Cleaver. Cleaver? Yeah. Cleaver. Yeah. Where he's just like, he's kind of checked out and he's like, I'm going back to Earth. Like, right? <laughs> 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 so, and he was like, the, he was the trust's like number one human representative. And now right. with the trust gone, he's like, yeah, I, I just, He's the literal, uh, <laughs> he is the literal uh, interpretation of the Futurama gif of the professor going, I don't want to live on this planet anymore. Oh. <laughs> that, that's Cleaver in this show. I don't know if you watch Futurama, but it was one of my favorite shows. Of course, yeah, it's coming back, right? Yeah, and John DiMaggio just resigned and they solved all that problem. So Bender is coming back. But yeah, that's, you know, the, the line where the professor is just like, I don't want to live on this planet anymore. That's basically him. He's like, yeah, I'm done. I'm going back to Earth. Uh, and <laughs> Earth Earth is like a dead planet at this point. I'm cool with it. I'll be on a yeah. dead planet. It's better than this shit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man. I don't blame him, man. It's a fucked up world here. Everywhere humanity goes, we just fuck things up, you know? And, I mean, the... The creatures, I, I do think that we're kind of interpreting them or the audience is thinking of the creatures on the planet as like evil because they seem feral. But man, did you have a great point by saying that's the title of the show, Raised by Wolves. You know, it's like the idea that like nature does a better job than humanity. <laughs> and just to kind of like wrap up um, the point about Tempest, I just wanted to give credit to the actress that plays Tempest, uh, Jordan 
Logren, I think is how you would say her last name. Logren, Logren. Um, I've always liked her on the show, but damn, did she do an incredible job when she was like giving birth? Yeah, she and was she, excellent like, this episode. She had to bite off her own umbilical cord at one point. Ah. <laughs> yeah, that was really well done. I thought that like just the way the baby looked when it came out looked really great. Um, it kind of reminded me of that baby android that mother broke the neck of that you referenced before. But yeah, that was a great sequence. Uh, one of two episodes, parts where women kind of went through like a big change and had to like go through physical pain. Uh, of course, I'm talking about the very end of the episode. Um, why don't we just cut to that and then we'll talk about grandmother for the end. But let's talk about um, Sue, which Sue's one of our favorite characters, right? And yeah. she's definitely gone through the biggest transition this season. Um, and I think that one of the things that's really intriguing about this episode was it almost implied that she was like starting to become the person that she had taken over the life of, right? The, the, Sue's real name is Mary and Mary killed the original Sue. <laughs> Mary Sue. That's funny. But like, it seems like she's becoming the actual real Sue, right? I think that we saw that with Marcus also. And, yeah. and it, it makes me think that in this world that th whatever the technology that is used to, um, you know, to do a face off with lack of a better phrase, uh, actually does sort of mix the DNA or mix part of the, the, uh, the memories of the person because We've seen that with both of these characters where they're, they're, they're flip-flopping every episode where yeah. they're, they're, they're both atheists who, and they were like, they were very atheist. They stole the, uh, the bodies of, or the, the, the faces of Mithraic. And then each one of them began to Marcus or much more at first, but now Sue have become full uh, Mithraic yes. and to the point where, you know, she's able to open this. Uh, I kept jokingly referring to it as the lament configuration, which is right. the, the puzzle Hellraiser. box from Hellraiser. Right, right, uh, right. But she's able to open it by like singing a Mithraic prayer song yeah uh to to paul who's sleeping and yeah i just uh, i i think there's also i think it comes uh you know talking a lot about this I, I started to think about the names like paul and marcus were apostles and of course mary is a biblical name and it's there's a lot of stuff in there about you know it, it all comes back and we talk every week about like how religious or this show is and how much this show has to say about religion. Right. Um, and I think one of the main things that I took from it this week was that one of the show's key theses is that all the, whatever religion you are, it's all the same. Mm -hmm. uh, there, there was one line. I didn't quote it. I, I tried to write it down and I didn't want to mm -hmm. pause it and go back, but I, I forgot he, where he says something about like your religion you know, 
I, I don't recognize it anymore, but it, he, you don't recognize your religion unless it's dressed up in the same way. And it made me think that like, whatever religion you are, uh, whatever belief system you have, whatever ideology you have, you know, there's ways to, that, you know, I think about like, you know, civil wars that take place within specific religions, you know, Christianity where Protestants and Catholics kill each other and uh, Muslims where you have Sunni and Shia Muslims who are, are killing each other. And that, of course, goes beyond actual religious wars like the Crusades and um, things in India and Pakistan with Hindus and Muslims. It, right. At the end of the day, we're, we are literally killing each other because of unprovable beliefs and thoughts. Right. And the show tries to address that. I think that conversation was with Lucia, uh, Lucius, Lucius and Marcus. It was either Lucius and Marcus or Lucius and father, right? Yeah, it was something yeah. like that. And, and it was really thought provoking about how mm -hmm. like all these religions uh, are, they're different versions of the same story. And, you know, you could Google things like the Jesus story and find connections to ancient Egypt, uh, right. where there's a the exact same story, just with a different character. And I'm not trying to offend anybody, but it's just, that's one of the key ideas of this show. Where, you know, when you're dealing with these competing, and Lucius even calls out Marcus and says, you're not Mithraic, you're 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 a fake leading a cult of like crazy people. So right. so you have so Marcus who considers himself devoutly Mithraic, right. uh, who prays to Saul in every episode, is being called out for starting a cult by one of the original devout Mithraic people. And you're just like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so. Yeah, yeah. I, I remember the exact uh, discussion you're talking about. And here's the thing, right? I've been like so busy this weekend. I watched this episode so I could talk to you about it. I didn't take notes, which I often do. And I remember like them saying something. And there's this one real sharp piece of dialogue. I was like, damn, that's good. Let me go back and watch it. But then the rest of the fucking episode was crazy as per usual. And then I just didn't go back. But I know the exact conversation you're talking about. Like really, really good writing. And um, that brings up something I wanted to mention too. Aaron Guzikowski wrote this episode and he mm -hmm. wrote the last episode. I think he pretty much writes on every single episode as the showrunner. But when you look at the people behind the scenes for these episodes, they're almost like little movies because every movie, every movie, every two episodes, which could be like a movie's length, is one director and one writer. And it's the same team. And so, and it's like broken into blocks. There's eight episodes altogether. So, like, there's two. That are uh, what's the guy who did uh, Tales from the Hood? Oh, Ernie Stickerson. Right, right. So he did like the first two. Then there's a different director who did the second two after that, three and four. And now you have uh, Aaron. Buzikowski. I noticed the director of this episode was the same one from last episode. So now the last two episodes are going to be by a new director. Different director, right, right. And, and it's it's interesting because it's like it makes you think like, are the episodes kind of closer linked? You know, each of these like duos of episodes. Yeah. Um, this one, th these last two episodes, King and this episode, The Tree, absolutely have to do with like physical metamorphosis. That's for sure. 
you know, you have Paul's physical metamorphosis, which led to uh, Sue's mental metamorphosis last episode. And then in this episode, you have Sue's literal metamorphosis into the tree. Um, when she put the seed in her hand and then it went into her, her hand, I was like, oh my God, she's going to turn into that fucking tree, isn't she? You know? And um, just to kind of touch upon your point, because I think you make up a, a really great point there that it kind of points out the craziness of humanity where you could be literally the same religion, but you think in a different way. And so therefore your enemies, I mean, that is clearly another theme that's very, very like integral to the, the story itself. And when I was watching the behind the scenes, Aaron Guzikowski was talking and he was talking about how um, Sue, he described her as a staunch atheist. So it was like real unnerving for me to see her kind of like walking hand in hand with Marcus and Paul. Like she was like a different person. And you said before that maybe it was like when they did the face off, maybe there was like a little bit of a blending of the two. I'm also almost starting to think that whatever Saul is, whatever that consciousness is, it's like it's created the Mithraic religion on Earth. So it's powerful enough to reach Earth. And then I think that like it literally has programmed people. And I think that like when Sue was originally Mary and then she physically became Sue, I think that like Saul has like morphed her back. I think it's Saul. I don't think it's the face off. Uh, transition. I think that okay. like Saul has literally made her her old self, you know? Mm. So um, do you think that that's the end of seeing Niyama or Nima Algar? Like, do you think she's gone since she's a tree? Or do you think we're going to see her again? <laughs> do you think she's gone because she's a tree? Uh, <laughs> a great sentence. Uh, I, I mean... I guess so for now. Uh, who knows? That that's the, no. the beauty of this show, you know. Mm -hmm. uh, maybe somebody comes and cuts the tree down, and she's living inside of it. Like like who knows? Uh, I bet I'm willing to bet she's probably not going to be in the next episode. No. Um, so yeah, I also think like I also like that they were trying to use like science like a laser to open the, uh, the lament configuration, <laughs> the, the box the and, box, yeah. and it, nothing, not even like a scratch on it. And it took her singing like a, a prayer, uh, like, or a song, like a hymn. Uh, yeah. To get the box to open on its own. And while they were trying to rip the box open, yeah. Seven mm -hmm. has a very mm -hmm. negative reaction and starts right. freaking out. And so mm -hmm. now I'm thinking, how is this going to come into it? Where, okay, obviously now you have the tree. And if we're going biblical, the serpent comes along with the tree. Because we saw yeah. Marcus. Oh, that was another thing. When Marcus took that fruit down... I swear to God, I and maybe I maybe I am being very literal here, but it looked like when he opened it, I was like, "Oh my God, that's her heart." Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah I was yeah, because yeah. It, he takes this fruit down and he opens it, and I'm like, "This is like my bloody Valentine." That looks like a fucking heart right there. Yeah. And then and and then you like you, he suddenly starts 
you know, Paul's in the background screaming, mother, mother. And, uh, and you get like the look on Marcus's face of like, oh, and he puts yeah. his hand on the tree to end the, and that was great. But, you know, now you have, uh, now you have the tree and there's a serpent who is connected in some way because when that box was trying to get open, that's what now was the serpent freaking out because of the possibility of the box opening? Does he view it in a negative way as a, as an antagonist or was he trying to get out to protect the box? And it is, you know, seven part of the, the Mithraic universe. It, it's yeah. Uh, I thought that was you know interesting. That's, that's a great line of questioning. And the people that have commented, if you guys want to give us your two cents too, I always love when like people that watch the show have like comments and thoughts on this stuff. Because this is a really complicated thing to unpack, right? Because Seven itself is a weird creation, right? The idea behind Seven is that Mother is a necromancer that was created by the Mithraic. And then she was hacked by pretty much like the leader or like the most forward thinking of the atheists, uh, Campion, right? Campion Sturgis, I believe is his full name. So he makes this special kind of caretaker out of a necromancer. She goes to this planet and is affected by the planet the same way that Marcus is, the same way Sue is. And she has a dream to which she has sex with Campion Sturgis. And it involves a lot of milk being spilled, like blood. <laughs> and then all of a sudden there's a fucking baby inside of her, a baby serpent. So it's like, what the, what are we dealing with? Because you're asking why is the serpent reacting so strongly to this box? And it kind of comes down to that biblical thing that you're referencing. Like, is the serpent Satan? And like, I don't know, Saul is God. I, I don't know. And it's like, are they like what you said before, where they're literally taking our symbology, our, our symbolism of God is this. And it's like, God is the sun. And, and the devil is a serpent. Are they taking our mythology and making it like real? You know, you know, it's, it's. Or, or are they, or are they just, or is Guzikowski just using symbols that we as human beings know and identify with the most common religions and, and religious stories and using those to twist our expectations and subvert our expectations. Right, uh, right. Because yes, there is this giant serpent, but so far it appears that the serpent is not harmful, uh, not mm -hmm. dangerous. Uh, it mm -hmm. doesn't even eat meat so far that we've seen. Um, mm -hmm. The worst thing it did this time was get a little antsy in its cave. And I think it like knocked Campion over. And he mm -hmm. got scared, but it didn't attack him. It didn't even, when the door was open, it didn't even get, go out of the cave. I thought that was like the obvious thing that was going to happen was the, the serpent was going to escape again, and it doesn't. So, yeah. you know, so, so are, are, is there a tree and a serpent? And are the characters named what they are? Because that's what we as viewers associate with religious stories. Uh, are we putting our own spin on it? It, you know, 
I'm sure there. I'm sure there's meaning. I I'm just not smart enough to know all of what it is yet, which is why I I really do genuinely love this show because it's so thought provoking. Like we have these talks once a week, and I feel like this is the closest I've come to like studying philosophy since I took like a random philosophy class in college 20 years ago. Right, right, right. And and it's just so crazy because there's so much going on at this point. Like when Sue turned into the tree, I was thinking, I was like, has this show jumped the shark? Does this show jump the shark like every fucking episode? Because there's always some kind of crazy weird thing that happens. And it like people change and they flip their sides always. Like, is this show just ridiculous or is it profound? It's kind of hard to determine because even when it ended for the first season, there was so, so much of a cliffhanger aspect that it didn't feel like this kind of like satisfying ending and everything made sense. It was more like, oh no, there's more questions. And every time you and I talk about this, you always compare it to Lost and that kind of fear of, is it going to be like Lost where there aren't really any answers or maybe the answers aren't good enough. I, I still feel like that's not going to be the case. And I, I don't necessarily think that like they introduced anything new in this episode. They've been talking about the tree for a while. Yeah. They're, they're just like elaborating on stuff that they have started to bring up. And, and that kind of brings us to our last thing, which is yet another fucking crazy piece, which is grandmother, right? So, so grandmother, the implication is that grandmother has been on the planet, Kepler 22B, for like a long time and is like way more advanced than uh, mother and father. And, and also the implication is that um, it, like she's as powerful as mother potentially, uh, but she looks human. So it's like she looks human, but she's been there like probably since before humanity even had advanced technology. So it's like, how is she there? You know, like, what do you think about grandmother? Uh, I I like the the whole idea of her. Like, I like that she speaks in the old language and she she uh, we're calling her she. She's an android, but it's just like the idea of her asking father where's your veil and so like the mithraic used to be fully covered or it i i i think there's a lot i it, the fact that she when she seems to recognize campion and she gl uh, glows bright when he and he thought he saw saul in the flesh and now he realizes that he saw this new being uh I, I don't know i i think i have the most questions about grandmother and right. so like you asked me what do i think about her i'm just kind of fascinated by the whole idea of that character and i'd like that to be a primary focus of the next episode uh or uh, obviously the last part of this season is it's going to be a a, a primary focus uh because I also just love how mother and father have really become like a snipey couple <laughs> where every episode, every interaction, we, there's there like mother will just throw a line in like, oh, so this is what you're doing with your spare time. Right. And like right. you just want him to turn around and be like, bitch, I'm in my workshop. Like, <laughs> yeah. Don't give birth to a serpent again. Yeah. Yeah. yeah and then like, and oh, like he said something about, yeah, how uh, grandmother appears to be 
like have life and uh, have ideas. And, and she just immediately is like, oh, well, Seven does too. And he's like, yeah, I'm not talking about your snake baby, all right? <laughs> <laughs> right, right, right. Yeah, well, um, in that after the show segment with, uh, you know, Aaron Guzikowski, he was saying that, um, you know, mother and father, like he's got his little projects. Oh, no, no, he wasn't even saying it. It wasn't Aaron Guzikowski. It was the actress that plays grandmother. I didn't write her name down, unfortunately. But, um, you know, I, so I know what her face looks like under that veil. But she was basically saying that, like, there's that crazy dynamic where it's like she's almost like his plaything in the attic and, like, mother's kind of jealous. Um, but it's, it's just so weird. And it's weird that she's called grandmother, you know, and, and that, like, he made a woman. So it's like it's his child. It's like it's like father's child, but also potentially like a replacement for mother. And it's also called grandmother. So it's like Oedipus stuff, and the, it's just so fucking bizarre, you know. I, I don't, I don't know where they're going with it, and I'm assuming that she's going to do something pretty fucking sinister, or sinister, or she's going to do something. You, really you effectively have three, you you have three story arcs that in the last two episodes have to at some point come together. You have yeah. the. the the tree, which is now established, uh, you know, Sue, Mary, tree. You have that, which the tree of life, I think they refer to it as. You yeah. have Seven, the serpent, and then you have this android, super android uh, grandmother character. There's two episodes left. They've never really shared any screen time, those three but those are the three biggest, you know, developments of this season as of right yeah. now. Uh, right. Maybe you add in this baby stealing monster from the, the acid beach and right. you have like a, you know, a fatal four way match in the, you know, <laughs> I don't know. Like it, I, I'm really, I feel like I say it every week, but like I'm just really looking forward to next week's episode. Uh, and it's funny because I, I always am looking really forward to these episodes and I almost never watch them on Thursday because right. I we we record on the weekend. So I'm always trying to like watch it right before we go Smart. on so that it's yeah. like fresh in my mind. Uh, so I actually watched this this morning uh, and... Yeah, I was like, uh, really, really can't wait to see where it goes. I gotta yeah. try to like, I gotta try to like look up some interviews with Aaron Guzkowski because I, I, I'm fascinated to know more. I just haven't had time to like watch the behind the scenes stuff that HBO Max gives. Right. Yeah, and and see, like that's what you gotta do because there's the Raised by Wolves podcast, right? That is like HBO made it, and he's on it a lot. And they talk about every episode piece by piece. Um, but you brought up a great, great point where it's like, we've never seen these forces interact with each other yet. The tree and grandmother and seven. So it's like, once you see them interact with each other, that's when things will start to click and be like, oh, okay, that's where this, like what the plan is. But um, with me and Danny, it's kind of funny because we, we watch so much stuff and we review so much stuff because we have this channel then we also have our other channel, The Lasser Cast, where we talk exclusively about horror stuff. And it's kind of funny because we have a little bit of a bleed over there. Uh, we were supposed to interview David Weiner 
who did In Search of Darkness, a horror documentary. Uh, we were supposed to interview him and have a video on his new movie, In Search of Tomorrow. Well, we're going to interview David next week, but uh, there's like a little bleed over. And so what we're going to do for the next uh, three weeks after that is we're going to be talking about horror sci-fi. And so we're going to be talking about your favorites, man. We're going to be talking about The Terminator one week. Then we're going to be talking about The Predator, or Predator, not The Predator. And then uh, Running Man. All Arnold, all month. And, um, you know, I, th I think that's, that's something that happens with us, Danny, is that we cover so much content that it's hard to, like, watch things multiple times because we're always covering so many different things. I just, I just realized watching multiple Arnold Schwarzenegger movies is just going to have me talking in my terrible Arnold accent all the time. Oh, no. oh, I'm going to no. be at work going like, come on, oh, get no. your notebooks out. Come on. Oh, oh no. Oh. Okay. Maybe this might have been a bad idea. Yeah. It'll be, we'll, I'll work. I'll work through it. It'll be fine. Uh, yeah. Yeah. But I'm, I'm really looking forward to uh, revisiting those from the point of view of 80s sci-fi uh, especially the first two, uh, Terminator and, and Predator, which definitely cross into horror. Uh, oh, yeah. uh, and, and The Running Man is obviously, it's a lot, it's a lot more silly and it's a lot more action movie based, uh, but it's definitely sci-fi and it is based on a story by Stephen King. So we, we could always get away with it that way. Um, if you want, if you want to uh, check out the Lasser cast, I just did a, a review of Studio 666, the new Foo Fighters horror movie. Uh, and I go on a little rant in there about how instead of bickering with uh, each other on Twitter about what kind of horror fan we are, we should go to the movies and support uh, these kind of in, in, in original independent horror films that when they come to theaters, I was the, I was the literal only person in the theater uh, the night I saw it. And yeah. a week earlier, I saw this really cool werewolf movie, The Cursed, which I also have a review up on the Lasser cast. And it was me and four other people. So, you know, yeah. the horror community is like ripping each other to shreds over this new terrible Texas Chainsaw movie. And here I am sitting by myself in movie theaters watching original horror movies. Yeah. But see, that opens up a really great point, right? My original channel that kind of spawned all this is the Anchor P channel. And the idea behind that is I'm going to talk about stuff that you may have heard about, but not enough people are talking about. And that's what Raised by Wolves is, too. Mm -hmm. right? And Definitely. that's the cool thing about having each of our channels. Of course, we do talk about the main stuff that everybody talks about. But then we also talk about stuff that not everyone's watching. And I think that, like, our friend Chris, who used to be on the last cast, he brought up this really great point in the form of a Seinfeld meme, uh, which was like, uh, you know, there's all these original horror movies coming out all the time, but they're on streaming. And then when they go to theaters, it's like the remakes of things or the sequels of things. And that doesn't just apply to horror. That absolutely a thousand percent applies to sci-fi. I mean, I feel like the only science fiction in the, on the big screen is remakes and sequels. There isn't anything or like established, cool. established IP. Right, right, yeah. Like, yeah, like Dune, Dune got 10 Oscar nominations. Dune has been in existence for, I don't even know when Frank Herbert wrote the books, but the first 60s. Dune movie that he, when? The 60s. Of oh, the 60s. So Dune has been in existence for 60 years. Uh, the first movie came out in, I think, 84, 85. So right. the first movie came out when we were like two or three years old. So Dune 
is science fiction, but it's based on existing IP. Blade Runner 2049 uh, is based on existing IP. Uh, and then you'll get these, uh, The Matrix, Resurrections, Dear Lord in Heaven. Uh, you, you get a lot of sci-fi that comes out, to your point. You know, and then I think about a movie like Jupiter Ascending, which was not good, but no. it was a completely original idea, and right. very few people gave it a shot. Right. Uh, oh, what was that weird movie about Dane DeHaan going to this, like, European... No, no, no. Oh, not Valerian, but Valerian's another good example that nobody saw. Pretty good movie. Um, but he was in this other really weird science fiction movie where he's like in this medical facility. It like it's something wellness, right? Yes. Like the, the pursuit of wellness or something. The cure for wellness. A cure, cure for, for wellness. wellness. Yeah. That was another really interesting movie. I know a lot of people have spoken about The Empty Man. Uh, oh, yeah. yeah. I know yeah, yeah. Chris loved it. Um, yeah. That's another movie that I didn't love the movie, but it had so many cool ideas and nobody saw it. And it's a completely original idea by this guy who just decided I'm going to make, he, he got a budget and he made a pretty unique science fiction slash horror movie and nobody saw it. And, right. you know, and then existing IP comes out and we all run to the theater. And that, that's, there's not a problem with that. I just think, you know, we could also support other things. Yes, I 1,000% agree with you. Uh, I think, uh, like, Paul Schrader, the guy who made uh, what, Taxi Driver, he wrote it. And I, I know he's directed a lot of movies, too. Uh, he had this one comment about how, like, the 70s, we always look at the 70s as this amazing time period for movies, right? But it's because the audiences were there for those movies, and that, like, nowadays, the audiences aren't there. It's not the filmmakers were better in the 70s. There's amazing filmmakers now. It's just that the audiences have to want to go get certain things. And, like, I, I'm going I, to... Go oh, no, I, I agree to an extent. I also think it, it... I don't even know where we're talking now, but I just... the. <laughs> I, I think it's very hard to compare eras, you know... Mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. I don't want to start a sentence with the phrase kids these days, but <laughs> you know, because it's us too, you know, we're yeah. the last, we're the last generation, you and I, we are the last generation, our you know, people who are in our late thirties, early forties, we're the last generation of people who grew up without a cell phone, uh, right. who grew up uh, and didn't really have the internet until what, probably late junior high, early high school. So for the last, and like, so we're not talking about like technology has ruled over us for five years. We're talking about the last 25 to 30 years where kids growing up had uh, more access to technology than, than ever before, have had uh, the, the, the ability to access this type of media, film, TV from, I mean, here, I, we're staring at each other. I'm, uh, you're probably looking at a computer screen. I'm staring at my smartphone right now. Right, uh, right. You know, uh, I still have up here somewhere the first DVD I ever bought, thinking I'll never get into these because I have all my VHS tapes. <laughs> and, and now you can, you know, 
go on your phone and open up a Netflix app and it's just, it's easier. It's easier uh, to not leave your house. You know, before COVID, it was easier to just not leave your house. And, And also, and this is something nobody wants to talk about and I've been very vocal about is, uh, I think movie theaters have effectively priced out the middle class. Uh-huh. Okay. I, and yeah. Yeah, uh, you know, you, you have a family of four. I have a family of four. If I want to take my family to see the Batman, first of all, did you see what AMC is doing? They're, they're practice. They started, uh, uh, variable pricing what? where they're going to, they're going to start charging more money for movies that they know their audiences want to see. So they're going to start charging like $20 for Batman tickets and like 15 for everything else. What? Yeah. Um, But even then, like my local theater, I pay $23.99 a month for Regal Unlimited. And I'm one of the few people that I go to the movies on a normal month four to 10 times. Right. So I get my money back almost instantaneously uh, just because I love going to the movies and I love sitting in the theater, but uh, it's twenty three ninety nine a month for me to do that. If I just want to, if I'm just a regular Joe Schmo with a family of four, and I take my kid, my family to see the Batman, that's that's seventy five eighty dollars on tickets alone, oh and we're God. well over a hundred when it comes to snacks and stuff. That's you know, I my first job was at a movie theater, and I I. I was paid minimum wage, but a movie ticket was seven twenty-five. I think back in nineteen ninety-eight. Right. Yeah. Regular. Now. Yeah. Yeah. Now a movie ticket is uh, sixteen fifty for an adult, and that doesn't yeah. even include IMAX, three D, RPX, whatever they have. You know. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I know, and we're kind of going off on a tangent, but it's it's real interesting subject matter because it's like you have this stuff, and then you think the audiences want to go see it. And so you get the butts in the seats for the established IP that you were mentioned before, like Dune and, and, and obviously like star Wars and Marvel movies and stuff. That's what gets people in the theater, but then it just eliminates this kind of originality, which that's where you get it on streaming and stuff, which streaming is like what, like Netflix, uh, you know, it's like less than 10 bucks a month. And then you can watch whatever you want. Like every single day, you can just watch whatever you want. And um, I think that that does affect the kind of content. HBO Max is putting out some incredible stuff, this show included. And, you know, Brian and I, and, and you also are a huge fan of Peacemaker. And that's just a good example of how, like, that's a comic book movie. And they made it into a TV show, but they made it very specific. And they made it with a vision. And, and they could only put it on HBO Max. If they put that in the theaters, that would not fly. That would bomb. But, but on streaming, it has like a cult following. It has like a big following, you know? So, yeah, that's a very good point. It, like, yeah, we, we barely go to the, the movies anymore these days. And it's basically because it's so fucking expensive, especially if you have to like get a babysitter and stuff too, you know? Yeah, a babysitter. yeah. yeah. Wow. You know, but I can, I can watch. I, I'm Mr. Segway though. Let me, I'll segue back into Raised by Wolves, right? So... The whole point, though, was that you were saying how we're the last generation with technology and, you know, people are growing up with technology. That's the germ for this show, Raised by Wolves, where Aaron Guzikowski said that he was wondering what technology would be like if it was raising his children. And so um, 
I mean, I, to that extent, I technology does help us raise our children. I mean, the, I, I joke around, I teach a criminal justice class, and I always make the comparison between me at 16 and my mom not letting me go to a Yankee game. Uh, on a Sunday afternoon where I would have been on the train like at 11 o'clock in the morning uh, and I would have come home at like four in the afternoon. So I, I wasn't going to be out in the middle of the night, pitch black, but I was 16. I didn't have a cell phone. It was 1998 and there was no way for my mom to know where I was. Now, like literally right now, our son is in Times Square. He went out with his friends today. And we're totally cool with that because at any moment I can grab my phone, press on the find my iPhone app and see where he is. I could ping his cell phone so that he goes, oh shit, I gotta like, you know, text back my parents. Uh, there's a lot of, it, it, there's a lot of comfort in that as a parent. Um, yeah. And you know, like Charlotte is 11 years old we live in a building where my mother is in the building. So she knows if she's all home alone for a little while, she can text grandma, you know, it, it, it does, you know, the way that we went in our rooms to play with our like action figures when we were 11 years old, yeah. our, our kids go on TikTok and they dance in front of the phone for 30 seconds at a time. And, yeah, yeah. you know, it sadly, I do think it's helping to prepare them for the world in some way because they're getting they're they're accessing this technology and they're becoming like I don't know how it is with Pepper and you 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 seem like you're pretty good at technology and editing things. I don't know anything about that. Charlotte is like well ahead of yes. me now, right. technolo technology wise. Brandon, my son, is way miles ahead of me, uh, technology wise. Like my yeah. mother sometimes calls him if she has a problem and he goes downstairs and like fixes her you know, uh, Wi-Fi or, or computer or whatever. Right. So, right. I mean, yeah, yeah. Guzikowski is not wrong. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I mean, we have essentially two more episodes left. I, have you heard if it's renewed for a third season? I, I haven't. Uh, I, yeah. I really, I really hope so because I don't think they're going to tie up every loose end in the next two episodes. So no, no, no. Yeah, it'll probably come to some kind of head, and there'll be a radical change in the status quo. I got a feeling that maybe the people won't be living in that colony that they're all in. You know that they'll have to. That reminded right. me. I love the fact that it took them this long to realize that human beings need a weekend. Did you notice <laughs> right. that? Yes, where yes, campions, yes. campions, like you guys don't have to work today. Take the day off. And he's like telling mother, uh, humans deserve a break. They can't just work all the time. I'm like, what was happening on Earth? <laughs> Dude, it's a total shithole, man. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I think that that whole system is going to get broken down, and we're going to see what is evil. Is it something to do with the tree? When they showed the coming up next time. They showed other people in the colony eating that fruit. So, like, obviously, that's going to spread and affect people. So, we'll see. we got two more episodes left. Danny, I actually thoroughly enjoyed this conversation because you're such a smart guy, and it's just fun to kind of talk about all the stuff that's, like, connected to this, but in the real world. Um, and, of course, always talk about movies and shows. It's so much fun. So, I'm hoping that uh, we can do this next two weeks. If you guys want to check out our other channel, The Lasser Cast. Danny puts out content, like, 
I'd say three or four times a week. And uh, we have our interview with David Weiner coming up where we're going to talk about In Search of Tomorrow, back when things were good in the 80s, and they have 80 sci-fi movies. So we will see you guys next weekend. Thank you. <laughs>